great job. I want to read, um, just again thinking about Christmas, I was thinking through the week, actually from uh, the week before, that um, if you've been shopping, which I'm sure you have been, already you can see Christmas stuff in the shops. If you watch TV, as I'm sure you do, there are already Christmassy ads on TV. And whether we like it or not, Christmas is coming now. Usually we say once Easter's finished, Christmas things come into the shop. And once Christmas is finished, Easter things come into the It seems to just be a never-ending cycle. But I was thinking about the lead-up to Christmas, and I tend to prefer to wait until Christmas is on us before we talk about it. But you know what? I was reminded last week that often we read the Christmas stories and that's all they are, is stories. And if you like, they've almost become like fairy tales to us. And so I thought it might be good for us to to get God's perspective on Christmas and take a look at what God says about Jesus coming. Now, if you... uh, if you've read the New Testament, you'll know there are several passages through the Gospels where announcements are made that Jesus is coming. And in all of those announcements, something significant is said about Jesus coming. And I thought it would be good for us just to take a, a couple of weeks and look at those things. So I want to read, first of all, from Matthew chapter 1. I thought rather than get too technical, we'd just go in... Uh, logical order, so Matthew chapter 1, and I'm just going to read from verse 18. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, it says this, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, what about we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word and as we take a moment to look into it this morning, we ask that you'd speak to us from it. And even though we read these stories that are so familiar to us, I pray, Lord, that you'd show us something that we've missed in the the past, something we've just read over without taking note of. So, Father, would you speak to us as we look into your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to just, as I said, look at uh, some of the things that God has said about Jesus' coming. And from this passage in Matthew, there are four things that stood out to me as I 
looked into it. And I want to look just very quickly at four things that God says about Jesus coming into the world. And we'll look at them briefly and what they mean to us as best we can in uh, the time we've got. But the first thing that stands out to me is that God speaks in a crisis. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about Joseph and Mary's situation. We understand from history that uh, young girls or young women were betrothed when they were about 12, 13 years of age. They were usually betrothed for about a year and then whoever they were betrothed to, their husband would take them home and formally uh, they would be married. And that's when the marriage union would be consummated and it would become an official marriage. But that period of betrothal is uh, stronger than our engagement uh, in, in Jewish custom. That period of betrothal is stronger than what we know of as engagement. And if a girl was found to be with child in that period, then it was a big deal. It was a huge crisis. And it was a crisis for Joseph and a crisis for Mary. It was a crisis for Joseph because he was about to marry someone who'd obviously been unfaithful to him. It was a crisis for Mary because according to Jewish law, the penalty for adultery was stoning. That's a bit of a crisis. But God speaks into this crisis. And if you have read back into the Bible in any way, you'll know that there, time and time again, God does speak into a crisis. Uh, I was thinking about the story of Hagar in the Old Testament. You might remember that Hagar was the servant of Abraham's wife. And uh, there was a long convoluted situation there that meant that Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, gave Hagar, her servant, to Abraham to bear a child to him. But everything went wrong and uh, Abraham and Sarah sent Hagar out of the family, sent her away and she was forced to go out into the wilderness. And there's a crisis point that comes for her in Genesis chapter 22. And we read that the water that they'd taken had gone. She put her child under a bush and then she went off and sat down and cried because she didn't want to hear the child crying. And then God speaks into that crisis situation and God says, what's the matter, Hagar? Now, isn't that a funny thing for God to say? I mean, if you were walking through the desert and came across Hagar and her child, surely you would know what the matter is. But God comes and he says, what's the matter? And he says, don't be afraid. Well, of course, it's a happy ending for Hagar. But it's interesting that God does almost exactly the same thing with Joseph. Joseph is confronted by this crisis situation of his soon-to-be wife expecting a child. And because he's a good man, he doesn't want to see her stoned or publicly disgraced. So he comes up with this idea of divorcing her quietly. And God speaks into this crisis and says, don't be afraid. Isn't that ironic that when God speaks into a crisis, one of the first things God says is don't be afraid. You see, when there's a crisis, we tend to be fearful. We tend to be afraid. 
We tend to need someone to come and tell us it's going to be okay. And so God comes into this crisis situation for Joseph and for Mary. First thing he says to Joseph is, don't be afraid. God speaks into a crisis. Now, it's what God says that's interesting for us. It's uh, the things that God say that we want to take note of. First of all, God calls Joseph, son of David. Now, you know, that's just something we read over every Christmas. It's kind of part of our Christmas carols that we sing about Jesus as part of the line of David, etc., etc. And we just read over it and tend not to think too much about it. But by calling Joseph, and he was by uh, descent, one of David's descendants, David the great king of Israel, by identifying Joseph with David, God is saying what's about to happen is going to be in fulfilment to those things that were promised to David. The things that are about to take place have already been promised to David and now it's about to happen. And by linking Joseph with David, God is saying that you are part of the fulfilment of this promise. You are part of the fulfilment of the promises I made with David. And by identifying Joseph that way, he's connecting him to the promises that have already been made. Into this crisis, God speaks. God intervenes, if you like. Now, I don't know what uh, crisis you might be facing, or maybe there's a crisis that you have faced recently, or maybe... There's something looming in the future for you that is going to turn into a crisis. You may or may not be aware of it yet, but it's into those crisis situations that God speaks and God intervenes. But there is one little catch. You see, we're told that Joseph was a good and righteous man. That's kind of Bible code for saying Joseph was careful to obey all of the law of the Lord. Joseph was careful to be a praying man. He was careful to be obedient to God in lots of different ways. If you like, Joseph was listening for what God was saying. Joseph was already one who walked closely with the Lord. That's what the Bible means when it says he is a righteous man. So this wasn't a strange thing for Joseph to hear from God in the sense that he was already listening. Now, the problem for us, I think, many times when we're in a crisis and we don't hear God speaking and we, we get upset because we can't hear what God is saying is chances are we're not listening. We're not like Joseph, making sure we're obedient to the law of the Lord and making sure we are, are faithfully following God in every way we can, listening, ready for what he might say. So often we get caught up in our own circumstances and we stop listening. But Joseph was listening. So into that crisis, God speaks and God intervenes. All right, that's the first thing. God speaks into a crisis. Here's the second thing that stands out to me. The role of the Holy Spirit in this process of Jesus coming into the world. In this passage that we read just now, the Holy Spirit is mentioned twice. Now, that's a little bit unusual because people didn't start to talk about the Holy Spirit 
until the New Testament period came along. There was, there was talk about the Spirit of God, but it was more like the Angel of the Lord or the Lord of Hosts or some other title that was given to speak about God uh, connecting with humans through the Old Testament. But from now on, from Matthew onwards in the New Testament, God is going to speak about the work of the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying to Joseph by mentioning the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' conception is that everything that's about to happen is a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' conception is a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' life is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' death is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' resurrection is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And what happens from then on as it impacts in our lives, is also going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Now we need to make the point that um, when God says to Joseph, what's conceived in Mary's womb is from the Holy Spirit, he's not talking about any weird kind of pagan idea of the gods having relations with humans. That's not what God's saying at all. What God is saying is this is a creative miracle done by the Holy Spirit. If you read in Genesis chapter 1, you'll read there that when God created the universe, it tells us the Spirit was hovering over what was originally there, which was just chaos and nothing. But the Spirit was hovering over it. Then God spoke and things came into being. You see, what was happening is that God spoke and the Spirit went to work. God spoke and the Holy Spirit energised what God said and made it happen. And so here in this story of Jesus' conception, God is saying this is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is going to energise this miracle and make it happen in Mary's womb so that a child is born. God speaks and intervenes into a crisis. But everything God does is a work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the third thing. We're told Jesus' name. Now, you know, if uh, for those that have had the privilege of naming a child, you like to pick that name out yourself. Um, I had the attitude, I must confess, that if, if uh, my parents or my parents-in-law said, oh, you need to call them so-and-so, then I would have chosen every other name or any other name other than that name that they said, because I wanted to choose that name myself together with Ingrid. We wanted to choose that name ourselves. But here in this story, and there's two or three other stories through the Bible that are similar, God gives the name. So that should tell you names are very important. And we're told that Jesus is given that name for a specific reason. It talks about not only who he's going to be, but also what he's going to do. You see, the name Jesus is the Greek version of the name Joshua. You know what Joshua means? God saves. God is salvation. That's what Joshua means. There were several Joshuas through the Old Testament. A couple who were most prominent, but one who was probably uh, the best known of the Joshuas was the Joshua who took over after Moses 
died, who led the people into the promised land. And Joshua is recorded as... uh, He was just an ordinary man who did an extraordinary job, but he's recorded and remembered as a kind of type for Jesus, a picture, if you like, who would point towards who Jesus would be and what he would do. Moses was another one of those people who was a type of Jesus. Someone who, who God used in a, in a spectacular way to bring salvation to his people. And that's what Joshua did. Joshua led the people into the promised land and finally delivered to them the salvation that God had promised for so long, the land that God had promised and the victory that God had promised. So Joshua became an example or a picture pointing towards Jesus who would bring salvation from God. But Jesus is not just someone who brings salvation from God. His name means God is salvation. So in naming him Jesus, what God is really saying is he is salvation. He's not just bringing salvation, but he is salvation. That's kind of important for us, isn't it? Peter says in the book of Acts, there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. It's Jesus who is salvation. There's another name that's given to us in this passage as well. Later on in the passage, uh, God quotes from Isaiah chapter 7, the verse that says, A virgin will be with child and will bear a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, we don't read of Jesus being called Emmanuel through the New Testament, but the point is, Jesus is salvation and he's with us. If you read through the whole Bible, but particularly through the New Testament, you find out that that's God's plan all along, to be with his people. And at the end of the book of Revelations, you read the conclusion, if you like. God finally with his people. That's what God is working towards, being with his people. It's going to happen through salvation through Jesus, salvation. Well, God intervenes and speaks into a crisis. Everything that God does is a work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' name is really important because it tells us not only who he is, but what God's ultimate goal really is, to save his people and to be with his people. Here's the fourth thing, very quickly. God says to Joseph, Call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now again, that's kind of important for us to get what God means by that. He's, Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. As I thought about this, I realised that I've probably tended to think of sin in two different ways. One way is to think of sin as just being a personal thing something that just affects me and, well, it affects you too, but that's your personal issue, not mine. We kind of tend to think of sin as as just being a personal thing. But if you read through the New Testament, Jesus says, when uh, the disciples asked Jesus about the signs of his return, 
Jesus talks about things like the sun and the moon being darkened and stars falling from the sky. Then Peter says things like the heavens and the earth will be dissolved with intense heat. It's kind of strange language. The New Testament talks about new heavens and new earth. And at the end of the book of Revelations, again, it talks about God being with his people in a new heaven and a new earth. And that's kind of puzzling. Why does that, you know, the world is beautiful as it is. Why have we got to go through all of that? Until you understand that sin is not just a personal issue. Sin has affected the whole cosmos, the whole universe. And so God is going to recreate, do away with what we see now, because it's corrupted by sin and recreate new heavens and new earth. Now you don't think about, you know, those far-flung places in space that we've never been to. You don't think about them being contaminated by sin, but they are. That little act of disobedience from Adam and Eve all those years ago was enough to infect the whole universe. And so the whole universe it's got to be done again because at the moment it's been corrupted by sin. We need to understand that, that sin is not just that personal thing that we each deal with. It's, it's a cosmic thing. It's a universal thing that affects everything negatively. Here's the second way that we tend to think about sins. We tend to think about sin Jesus coming to save us from our sins like as though it's a ticket that'll get us into heaven. We uh, confess our sins, we ask Jesus to come into our hearts and we say, my sins are forgiven, I'm going to heaven. Kind of like a ticket you get when you go to the movies. I mean, you can buy that ticket and walk into the cinema and read a book if you want. Makes no difference. The ticket only gets you in the door. But sometimes, very often, I think, we tend to think of our sins like that. I've had my sins forgiven when I asked Jesus into my heart. Don't need to think about it anymore. You know, God says to Joseph, he's come to save his people from their sins. Plural. And if you know anything about the Bible... And what God says there, you'll know that sin is a problem that we deal with day in, day out, minute in, minute out, every single moment of our lives. Do you realize that every wrong thought you have is sin? Every time you get offended and your pride get, gets hurt, it's sin. Every time you get angry, every angry word you say, Every time you pass on gossip, it's sin. Every lustful thought you have is sin. Every fearful thought, Leona spoke about perfect love casting out fear. Why does love need to cast out fear? Because fear is a sin. When we allowed, allow fear and anxiety to rule our lives, it's a sin. Every white lie and every untruth you tell is a sin. I remember years and years ago parking in the street and just walking into the shop thinking about how good I am as a follower of Jesus and then suddenly 
the Holy Spirit said to me, yes, but you didn't put meter in, uh, money in the parking meter. That's really stealing. I'm stealing that parking time from our council. Every little thing we do that is not bringing glory to God is a sin. And Jesus came to set us free from that. We don't need to live caught up in those tiny acts that really are things that separate us from God. Jesus came to save us from our sins, not just to give us a ticket to heaven, but to set us free from those little things that put up barriers between us and God, those sins that were the nails that held Jesus to the cross, those sins that make us just like everybody else who doesn't follow Jesus. Jesus came to set us free from our sins. Well, four things. God speaks and intervenes in a crisis. Everything God does is a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the name that God gave to Jesus, means that he's come to save and to dwell with his people. Jesus came to save us from our sins those thoughts, words, actions that we do that don't please him. So what does all that mean for us? Well, at some point in your life, there's going to be a crisis. And it's into that crisis that God will speak if you're listening. At least he may well speak anyway, but you might not hear him if you're not listening. So are you listening, crisis or not? Are you listening for what God might be saying? Everything that God does is a work of the Holy Spirit. So the question for us is, are we allowing the Holy Spirit to be at work in us and through us? Paul says, don't quench the Spirit. and Don't stifle the Spirit. Oh, it's so easy for us to do that. Are we allowing the Spirit to work in us and through us. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Are we being saved from our sins? Is there any confession in your life to confess those sins that Jesus came to save us from? Are we becoming more and more and more like him as he saves us from those sins? Well, only you can answer that, and I pray that as God speaks to you and as you listen to him, you might hear those things that he would say to you that he'd want you to confess and put right with him so that you too can be saved from your sins. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you that you tell us not only about who you are but why you came into our world. And Lord, as we think about that in this lead up to Christmas, we thank you, Lord, that you've come to save us from our sins and to dwell with us. We want to be with you too. So Lord, would you continue to work in us? Draw us closer to yourself so that we are free from those sins that we so easily fall into. Lord, we thank you for who you are and for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.